But uh, why don't we begin uh, with a word of prayer? Let us pray. Dearly Father, O oh Lord, we, we are blessed by your word that, uh, that, is, that is of Jesus Christ, the one who uh, took upon this flesh to die uh, over the power of death. Lord, uh, bless us knowing that we have been liberated uh, from this slavery of condemnation that you have given to us uh, through the blood of your Son. Uh, lead us, O oh Lord, this day in every respect, knowing full well uh, that that you, O oh Lord, um, continue to lead us by this very word in the wilderness wandering that we face. Lord, for all these things we're thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hopefully, you kind of see the... I know we're going slower than the lectionary of our readings through the, through the Sundays of the church year, but uh, hopefully it has been helpful to you. Again, that was one of the reasons why we were doing Hebrews, is because the lectionary is doing Hebrews as well. So hopefully, we won't catch up to the lectionary, but... Um, no, that'll be in three years. Um, no, well, we should be done with it by then. But we'll know it when the three years are back. Uh, yeah. Time flies, guys, you know. Anyways, sorry. I'm always reflective about that. Uh, right. uh, so, since therefore, verse 14, as a reminder, again, founder of salvation, chapter 2, and here we see uh, that Jesus is. And how is he that founder of salvation? Uh, since therefore, verse 14, the children share in the flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. So just like we heard in the sermon this morning about, <clears throat> what did we hear? Uh, we, we heard about uh, our Lord in every respect, right? Sympathizing with us. Um, that means he, he took upon the flesh and he... Though he was without sin, he was tempted. He, he faced what is human in his life. Um, and he could definitely sympathize in a sense of, of who we are as human, uh, but in the same way, uh, who one in every respect answers for us by his very faithfulness. And here we see that in every respect, verse 14, that he, uh, that he does share in our flesh. But what is the reason that he shares uh, in our flesh? What, is, what does it say right there in, in verse uh, 15 and following? Oh, no, not the reason. Sorry. That's the answer to what I'm asking. But. Yes? In 14, it says um, that he shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Yes. Yeah, I guess we should put partook. <laughs> um, yeah, he partook of this flesh, right? Of the same things. Now, and, and this is the key, I think, for us as Christian, is that what is the reason for his state of, of humiliation? What is that reason for the state of humiliation? I know um, on every Thursday we, I don't want to plug our Thursday devotion, but we have Small Catechism Live, and I'm taking a really slow slow methodical step through the catechism because I think we have all the time in the world. So anyways, well, until we don't know that. He could return. But I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm, I'm not in any rush. That's the better way of doing it. Uh, but the reason is that he, why did he partake of the flesh and why did he face this humiliation? And ultimately, I mean, this is humili humiliating in itself to take upon flesh, but the ultimate is the cross. Um, all this was for the power of, of death. And um, when we look at the founder of our salvation, Jesus Christ, 
Um, why, is this, why is this so comforting to you, knowing this is who your Savior is? I know, I know during confirmation, I think the first week I had Emily watch this Who is Jesus clip on YouTube. And um, I think I mentioned that last week, but uh, a lot of people say that Jesus is the best marketer. He's the best businessman because <laughs> he knows how to lead people and get people to follow him. Or other people say he's the greatest David Copperfield, if you know David Copperfield, uh, ever known. He's a great magician, right? Uh, but what is the reason for the same things that he took upon? It is, it is to overcome the power of death. How powerful is death? I mean, we live in this time where death and COVID and all these things have kind of been put on the, the magnifying glass. Um, but when we talk about the power of death, how powerful is death? In regards to our own human, our own human efforts to overcome death, we can't. Um, we can't. There's no other way with death, right? Uh, we could try, and um, we can even moralize why we should overcome death by our own goodness. But the power of death is that. No pun intended, that nail in the coffin in a sense of ever since the fall, that dagger that was that separated God and man, right? And this is the picture of the power of death. So when you talk about the power of death and the devil, human intervention of our own fallenness cannot be the remedy for the power of death, right? And a lot of people think that. Uh, in terms of how they can overcome death uh, by their own work of the law. Again, Hebrews, this was their, one of their big things, the work of the law. And, and they could overcome death by their own morality, by their own discipline, uh, by their own work, right? And the power of death is what it is. I can't overcome that myself. I need that outside confidence, and that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the measure he took to give us this victory over death is by partaking of this flesh. And this is our faith, Jesus and what he has done in this very work. Right? So, so again, uh, I, know we always, uh, <laughs> I know we always talk about Jesus, and that's a good thing, of course. Um, yeah, and there's no conjunction in that. I'm not going to say but. Uh, <laughs> because that's it. You know, uh, It's all about Jesus. And, and here we see, uh, as we uh, see the verse, that he might destroy the one who has a power over death, and that is the devil. And that's what he does. He destroys the devil. For the devil has, by his temptation in the garden, what? By Adam and Eve, their sin for the wages of sin is? And we very well know that through their sin, death came in the world through the slippery serpent's temptation of you will be like God if you eat from this tree, surely you will not die, right? So, uh, so this is uh, the picture of what Jesus has done. No one can do that. You know, the greatest deception we face is that I can be with God all by my own, by my own way, by my own feeling. I can reconcile myself to God if I'm just good. And the fact is, when the power of death came to be, no one is good, not even one, and we need Christ to die the big death for us. So here we see the picture of the reason uh, of our founder who came to this world. Why? Because he is the answer for our death by dying that death for us upon the cross. Um, and, and this should be your great 
uh, triumph and victory. Um, Yes, and uh, verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So if it's not by the death of Christ and what he has done, there is that fear of lifelong slavery. Now, what is that, in Old Testament terms, what is that a reminder of, lifelong slavery? Egypt. That's what what I thought I heard, right? Egypt? Yes. Uh, That's what I heard, right? Yes. All right. No, I was, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. Uh, and I know the right answer to that. Uh, happy wife, happy life. Anyways, but uh, uh, Egypt. Uh, yes, Egypt. Um, and the greater picture of Egypt is that eternal, eternal condemnation. And that is as a result of sin and death. Right? And this is lifelong slavery. Um, again. Um, not many people think in this world that they are slaves, that they are enslaved by and bound by their sin. Uh, people think they can engineer that or overcome that uh, uh, by their own way, and, and that's not the case. We need someone to liberate us, and that is uh, from the iron bars of sin and death our Lord does. So again, the measure he took was for this right here, and that should show you not only his love for you, but that your faith is assured and certain, all by the one who could answer for that for you, and that's Jesus, okay? Um, This may be saying somewhat the same thing in another way, but um, when you pose the question, you know, why why did Christ go through everything that he went through? Not only to save us, but also... I take comfort in the fact that no matter what it is that I'm going through, that Christ has gone through that and worse for me. And it helps when you talk about that rest and that comfort. It just kind of is comforting to realize that no matter how bad my situation may be at any given time, he endured far worse out of love for me. And it doesn't, and you're absolutely correct, and it doesn't, it doesn't change our, our faith because our faith is what Christ has done for us. If anything, it strengthens it. Ideally, ideally, but honestly, as a human being, uh, there are moments in life where things can be very overwhelming and full of, just play the devil's advocate to that, full of, full of despair and the this, this shadow of death, just, it, it's so overwhelming at times. And, and that's why I think the word of God is so important, especially the word of Christ, um, as the word of God points to as, as we hear it and receive it. Because as Marjorie said, yeah, in, in suffering, in, in, shame, in, in affliction and shame even, uh, uh, we, need to, we, we need these very words of Christ as it points us back to who we are in what the measure he partook and overcame, not simply to exemplify what he has done, but rather because of what he has done in the measure he took, we are who we are as children of God. And that's the center message all the time as we uh, live in this one true faith. That's always my goal for you as well, Um, my prayer for you. So um, anyways, um, as we continue here, um, verse uh, 16, if someone could read that. For surely it is not angels who helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
Okay, so uh, we see right there on the back of your hand. Does everyone have last week's handout? I don't know. If you don't have it, uh, here's a couple extra because I know we have a couple. Um, wait, am I con- Oh, I'm not connected. Right. Thank you. Oh, okay. I think. Um, I don't think I have any more. Okay. Omega has it. All right, very good. Uh, so, so we see right here on the back, and these are from uh, references uh, to Genesis and Matthew uh, about the Lord's help, about the offspring of Abraham. And here we see uh, in Genesis 12, the promise, right? The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And again, uh, when we talk about um, Abraham, uh, we know that uh, he is the father of all nations. And we see in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, if you want to see the genealogy of Christ, there you have it. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right. So the Lord has come to be our help that through the family line of Abraham would be good. And this is... Uh, God to man, and there through this family line, uh, he would be of our greatest help. Think about that. I mean, do you guys know your, uh, your great-grandparents? I, I, don't, I don't even know them, my great-grandparents, or my great-great-great-grandparents. I would, mathematically, that would not be... A, Possible, But the point is, is that God had this all lined up. If you look at the genealogy in Matthew 1, it's an amazing story in itself. I don't know if you like genealogies. Uh, I know people are into the whole, what are the genealogical things these days? Ancestry. Ancestry.com and all those things. And you're kind of fascinated uh, by that, which I've never done. Really, I should do that. That'd be interesting. Anyways, but the point is, uh, uh, even greater than... Sometimes you kind of, yeah, wonder where you come from, but then you're like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, <laughs> but but uh, here we see the genealogy of who we are, ultimately, in Christ Jesus. That from the father of nations, he would, he would bless their offspring. And from that offspring would come, what? Uh, uh, the, the savior of the world who would save us from our sins. So we see right here in verse 16 that God had a plan even before the beginning. There the Lord, his will is done, and his help is namely Jesus. Again, Old Testament, Hebrews, patriarchs, they trusted in these men, these prophets of God, uh, these, uh, these representatives of God, uh, to be their leader. And there he is showing what about them? That it all leads to Jesus. So when I'm doing my mouth like this, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've caught on. but uh, It's Jesus, right? Everything leads to Christ. And, and, and this is the picture of, of what they were tempted to follow, but rather the writer is pointing all the dots, the lines, pointing, I mean, um, connecting the, the dots uh, to Jesus and what this is all about. So it's not disconnected, it's not detached, but all the will of God from the Old Testament to the New is Jesus. So when you hear someone who says, we don't read the Old Testament because Jesus isn't there, uh, you quickly tell them, um, oh, he is there. He is there. We should definitely read both books. Um, and, and this is um, very important because it's all in the fulfillment. The greatest help in that genealogical line is, 
is uh, from that offspring of Abram. So this is, um, you know, again, uh, how God works uh, through the family line uh, and how, how miraculously he works, even through things that you might say, like Rahab the spy. There, there we see uh, her connection to the family line. Um, even, even King David, who wasn't the most perfect person in the world, yet through this line, the grace of God, Jesus, came into the world. And this is the picture of our Lord and the founder of our salvation. This, ha- this is the measure that he took so that we are sitting here right now, rested in our conscience, knowing that I'm a forgiven sinner, right? Um, it's all Jesus for you. Uh, okay, uh, verse 17. Verse 17, and someone could read that. Verse 17. Okay, so therefore he had to be made, right? Had to. What does that mean? What's, what's have to? What, what, what's had to be made? What does that mean? No other way, no choice, right? No other way but Jesus Christ alone. Does that unfurl the feathers? Is that a term, unfurl the feathers? Unfurl the feathers. Unfurl, ruffle. Same thing, right? Close enough, right? Ruffle the feathers of people. Does that ruffle the feathers of the world? Not the feathers of the world, but... Uh, they, they don't but why is the, the, the absolute gospel, the way to be saved, abslot? <laughs> oh, teachers out there, I know how to spell. I just get... Ahead of myself. Absolute. Why is that uniqueness have to so important here? I know I went to Los Alameda School District there in Orange County. Um, Blue Ribbon School, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if that means a whole lot these days, but in the sense of how prestigious Blue Ribbon schools are, but I'm out of loop. But anyways, have to. Why? This have to is uh, 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 this necessary... Sending of the Son, and this is absolutely necessary. It's Jesus, right? So this had to be uh, made, or therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So how is Jesus described here? As we talked about in the sermon this morning, and for those uh, that are going to second service, you'll hear it again, or hear it for the first time, in every respect. What does that mean? Was he just wearing a costume? Uh, was he um, every way, every facet? Was he only man? No. He was full man and also full God, right? Uh, but in every respect, <clears throat> he when he was in the wilderness with the devil, fasting and hungry and tired, uh, was that like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'm God. You know, I have no pain, no suffering, no type of temptation there. You know, uh, in every respect, you know, when Lazarus died and Mary and Martha were like, Lord, if if you were here just a little bit earlier, our brother wouldn't have died. And what did did Jesus do? He, Jesus wept. If you want to, 
If you want to uh, memorize, uh, if your kid wants to ever memorize a, a Bible verse, that's the one to memorize because it's only two words. Anyways, but, <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, is that this is Jesus in every respect, and this magnifies his love for you in the humiliation that he faced. Just, just wrap your minds around this reality that God would, in his place, be one of us and take upon that flesh not just to say, oh, I'm here, but rather to die for them. Just, I mean, I can't, not a day goes by where we thank the Lord for all that he does. But I think what we sometimes don't go into is the measure that he took so that Patrick could be who he is today or so that Jeff could be who he is today and that everyone could be as we are here together uh, baptized, reconciled, and covered by the blood of Christ. Just think about that and his love for you. Um, and I, I know, you know, we live in a world that doesn't hear about Christ. And, you know, whatever comes in is what comes out. And therefore, a, a world that is full of hatred, of course, not a surprise. Um, because when we hear that in the world, all we need to say is everyone needs to hear about what Jesus has done for them. They need the gospel because in every respect, our Lord took upon the flesh to give us his love. And there in his love, as we say in the post-communion collect, we have fervent love towards God, but also fervent love towards one another, right? That's what we do after the sacrament. We say, Lord, let us go now in peace and love and serve in your name, right? Uh, and this love is Christ in every respect he took. So think about that. And I don't even want to go to the pain of the cross. I mean, that in itself, I mean... Think about that. I mean, we talk about Passion of the Christ. You know, we talk about all the movies that kind of portray, and I know they portray it in the best of their way, uh, but I can't imagine even then how much Jesus went through. I mean, to die is, to die in itself is a harrowing moment in life, but to die the way he did for not himself, but for you is, what's the word? It's sacrificial. It's, it's full of true love and what that is from God, right? In every respect, this is all for you. And then even more than humanly, too, because he had to be forsaken of God, something we will never have to experience. Or even know how that is. You don't know, and they say that it doesn't matter really to be separated from God. Thankfully, we don't, because we just have to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. He still, he didn't say, well, this is only for those who are going to believe in me. Mark, you're saying it sounds like you've been reading John 3, 17. I don't know. Because I didn't yeah. memorize. Um, no, I, and that's, I think, a, a really good point about the love of God and the measure he took. And, and again, um, that he died. The burden of, the weight of our sin, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. God coming down to, I mean, we know our flesh. Like, why would God, for me, <laughs> like, no, but that's his love for us. 
I mean, the measure he took. Uh, so when we say Jesus, you know, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, okay, that's the gospel, John three sixteen, and all these things. Uh, sometimes, you know, we need to pump the brakes a little, slow down and say, what, what, what does this mean? And, and here we see the measure that he took with your life as his focus. And that life would be given through his very death. And what a great measure that is. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the hopes that some should be saved. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jesus came to save, not to, not to condemn in a sense where he died for all people, right? He died for everyone. Um, whether they, again, that, that's a mystery. Many people reject that very gift, but it doesn't change the gift, right? Jesus died for everyone. That's so why you can always go to people and say, he forgives you of all your sins. Um, and, he, and he's done that. But again, um, there's that mystery of rejection of, of his word, the hardened heart of sin. Yes? You posed the question earlier about does this idea of absolute ruffle feathers. And the answer is yes, because man doesn't like absolutes. You know, the old saying, there's only two absolutes in life paying taxes and death, but um, any kind of sense that we are not in control of our destiny, our life, our living our best life. I hear that one more time. Um, Living our best life? (laughs) Yes. Anyway, that whole idea that that might be a wrong take on things is is repulsive to us and we object to it. And that's why so many people, you know, many are called fewer chosen. I think that's part of the reason because they can't accept the idea that they are not in control of their life. Yeah, and I think to piggyback on that with the context of the Hebrews is that they were in that temptation of falling away from this absolute. Uh, I think for any of us, trust me, when you stop hearing the word and, and, and when you stop studying the word and you just kind of live life on that periphery, you know, just that service, like, I'm a good person, I've done good, so if there's God there, I'm sure I've done enough to, to merit my way. Uh, soon enough, uh, this only Christ, this uniqueness becomes a bland or blurry picture of salvation and it becomes so many different things. It's not unique anymore, Christ is, as you take over, as your flesh takes over. And for the Hebrews, it was the same thing, right? Uh, they were, uh, many were reverting back to what they learned and, and soon enough, there was no longer a uniqueness of Christ, but maybe Christ is a part of it, but he's not all of it. That's the temptation. And, that, and that's the thing for everyone here. As we study, the goal is what? To be rooted in Christ that he is indeed all of it, right? Not 99%. He's everything in studying and preaching, all these things. Uh, this is all pointing you to the uniqueness of the gospel and what he has done because the tension is there as the Hebrews faced it, but also we face it today, living the best life now. That whole mantra, that all these different slogans that even Christians will kind of grab hold of can be very risky for them or at risk to kind of go on a different nuanced path that like the Jewish Christians, they would have done the same. So that's why the message is so important. The writer is encouraging them and reminding them of this message of Christ alone uh, because he is the faithful high priest. 
merciful. Remember, high priests from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there the, the Old Testament priests would uh, be there in the tabernacle, and there uh, Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of that as the true high priest. Again, uh, the priests would, uh, when it comes to sacrifices, uh, they would uh, take that animal, they would pray for the people, but also Jesus is not sacrificing animals, but he is the ultimate fulfillment as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does that make sense? So he is in himself the true high priest. He is the absolute high priest who cleanses them from their sins all by his own body and blood shed on the cross. Uh, so that, what? He shows us his mercy, right? I mean, you can go back to the, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers, right? Where, where is that mercy? It is the blood of Christ. That's how we know what mercy is. It is the mercy of God that is outpoured to us on, uh, uh, at Calvary. And, and there in his mercy, we, uh, we dwell upon the true high priest who, who cleanses us by his very blood, his sacrifice upon that cross uh, to atone, uh, to be the mercy uh, seat for us, uh, to, to be that atoning sacrifice uh, for our sins. And, and this is what Jesus does. So again, uh, when it comes to Abraham and his offspring and the help that he gives to us, he helps us indeed, uh, because in this family line, this is the result. And um, again, there's nothing about you in here. This is all by the grace of God and what he has done for us. And that is very important to remember. Your faith is what Christ has done for you and what he has given to you as the true high priest by his mercy. Um, Again, uh, we, we can live our whole lifetime dwelling upon the mercies of God and the measure he took every step of his ministry in the flesh, but also in his death and resurrection and ascension and by his merciful final return as well. This is all as we live under his, um, his care and, and his grace. So again, uh, what the writer is trying to do here is point them to everything that you are tempted by in the past it all point, it's all part of the will, and that is Jesus. There is no disconnect. It's all about Jesus and what he has done. Uh, verse 18. Verse 18, if someone could read that. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, I forgot to read the Bible verse here on our notes. Um, and I always say, why do I write notes when I mean, oh, I, I'm assuming I say something about the notes while I'm teaching you. Am I? Do I ever, does it ever follow the notes that I give you? Sometimes, Sometimes right, randomly? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, um, oh, Luther, that's right. Always good to read from him. Uh, <laughs> it's almost not related. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, Luther is... Uh, he, he's very, um, I like how he words things, straight to the point. You know, no, 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 uh, no beautifying things. He just, boom, right? For thus is Philippians 2, 6, 7 says, Christ emptied himself of the form of God and took the form of a servant. That is, he considered the things that were ours, not, as, not those that were his. So when we talk about the mercy of God, what he, con- he doesn't consider uh, his own, but he is looking out for you. For his things, God's things are righteousness, wisdom, salvation, glory, peace, joy, etc. 
ours were sin, foolishness, perdition, dishonor, the cross, sorrow, etc. So when we talk about our Lord coming down to the flesh, what was his as the righteousness of God, he partook of the flesh to be with us and take upon what is ours, and that is of sin, perdition, dishonor. He took out all that weight of sin upon himself. Um, and, and that's the only way it could be. The only way. And he finished it upon that cross, uh, dying for us. So uh, again, just an, another uh, kind of, that whole picture, the blessed exchange, as, we, as Luther would call it, right? Uh, where what is, what is his uh, he, he charges to us. He, he charges to you by his grace. He imputes to you, impute, imputation, that's a big word, uh, imputation uh, of his righteousness is given to you by his blood. But at the same time, what does he do for you? He, he charges onto himself by his love for you, your sin. He takes what is ours and puts it on himself, that cup of wrath, and he dies and he washes and he destroys them. Uh, on that very cross. And, and this is the absolute of our Lord. Think about that, that charge. It's not fair. Uh, if you've ever had a credit card bill, you know that, the, that Citibank or, or, or whoever it may be, they're not going to say, oh, don't worry, Jennifer. We got this. <laughs> don't you worry. Don't you worry. We got your debt today. And you're like, no, you don't. What's the catch? This is money. No way. And, and that's, that's how it is with the radical nature of the gospel. So you're saying I'm forgiven of my sins and I don't have to merit anything to get to God? And your answer is yes. He died for you. He rose for you. This is your faith. This is your grace. And um, again, this is the uniqueness in the same way of, of what uh, Jesus has done uh, for you. So anyways, um, we see right here in verse 18. For because he himself had suffered... Oh, we already read it, right? But I'll read it again. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean right there in verse 18? He's experienced what we experience humanly. Yes. And, and because he's experienced that, we can look to him as as someone who has experienced it, we can, we can understand. Yeah. We can understand that he has understood it fully. So. And that he, we're, we're, you know, the thing is, uh, we confess our sins every Sunday at church uh, because we are sinners, right? Uh, but we trust in the compassion and the mercy of God. Um, we trust in what he has done for us as he was tempted, right? Just like we were. He, he knows what it was to be in the flesh. And, and there, by his faithfulness without sin, uh, he went to the cross to die for us. I mean, when we talk about his sympathy, his compassion for each and every one of you, remember, Jesus and compassion in the Bible is it's not just any word of compassion, but that compassion in the Greek shows us his most inner hurt and pain for the world. Like, he has great compassion for the world for what, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, right? Uh, the, the world hated him, but yet he still says these words. That inner, and, and when we confess our sins, what does the devil say? He says, you know what, maybe, maybe he won't forgive you this time. Maybe your sin is too grave that, you know, he's not hearing you because, look, you've sinned again. And the devil says, no, God is done with you. You're done, Right? 
But when we see this text, it's that mercy of God where we say, Lord. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. And that's our struggle. But yet at the same time, we look at this text and say, he came to this world. He was tempted, but yet he was without sin and he died for all those sins. And that is the compassion of our Lord, knowing that we can rest and we do rest in his words of forgiveness because that's our faith, right? And this is not the law that you're trying to uh, overcome or trying to fulfill. It's not some statute you're trying to say, well, if I've done this, then I know that I'm forgiven. No, as we confess and repent of our sins, uh, just as who our Jesus is, he is faithful and just, and he indeed forgives us of all our sins. So remember that this day. Actually, why don't we read 1 John 2, 12, uh, 1 John 2 uh, 1 to 2. If someone could turn there real quick. 1 John, a couple uh, books back, 1 John uh, 2, 1 to 2. All right, so just as Mario said, you know, not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the cosmos, of the world. My little children, the, the, you know, when we talk about little children, what is that picture of? What is, what is a little child picture of? It's a picture of, I need... We're helpless. We're, we're dependent upon the Father, right? Little children, right? I'm writing these things to you, uh, trust, yes, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. What is an advocate? Someone who, who defends you, who speaks on your behalf, who is there for you to protect you. Who is your advocate? It is Jesus, uh, the righteous, the, the, the one who atones you of all your sins. And, and this is the picture right here. So uh, rest assured that at the end of the day, when, when we live that life of repentance, and trust me, sin is a struggle. Sin brings great sorrow and grief in our life. I, I want to be clear about that. When we become apathetic to sin, what happens? It takes over. And we become in... Oh, sorry, <laughs> indifferent. What did you say? Enslaved. In, enslaved. Good, that's better than what I thought. Uh, enslaved, indifferent... Uh, and our hearts harden, and then what happens? We become Pharaoh-like, just get destroyed, right? Do you see that? And we're blind to it. We don't even know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you if you go to the Genesis three Bible study, we talked about how when we are sinning, uh, what does it say? We're not frightful, but we're actually flattered and delighted in the midst of that sin. After the fact, we realize what we've done, and after the fact. We grieve and confess our sins. But yet, um, there are people who do what? They just continue sinning and, and have no big deal about it. And I live my life the way I want, and no one's going to tell me otherwise. And it's that hardness of heart that continues on that path to destruction. So, again, we have our advocate, Jesus Christ. I know it's getting late here, and we didn't even get to our second handout. Um, but um, we'll talk about that next week. But uh, this is who you are by the one who founds, who is the finder or who is the root of your salvation. Any questions before we close? I, I had a thought that hadn't occurred to me before today. Uh, we're talking about Jesus as being the sacrifice for us. Where Abraham's taking Isaac up to the hill for the sacrifice. Isaac asks his father, well, where, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? 
And so Abraham, I think in, in almost a prophetic manner, messianic prophecy, says God will provide the lamb. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide. That's right. So for humanity as a whole, God provides the sacrificing. And is he himself? Through his... Through his family line, right? Which is amazing in itself, how God works. Uh, yeah. Our Lord is good. All right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we conclude uh, with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for uh, partaking of this flesh. Lord, by your merciful work, you are the true high priest who cleanses us from all our sin. Bless us only in Christ and, and lead us this week in the joy of salvation, knowing full well that Uh, We are not living disconnected from your word, but rather in your word, uh, you have reconciled us uh, to you, O Lord. Bless us this week and lead us always in the one true faith. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this Bible study presentation from Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.